We, we have all been waiting for Christmas to get here, and it's here. It's finally here. And some of us feels like, feel like we've been waiting different amounts of time. Some people, it's come here quickly. Some people, it's been slow. And some of us, in all honesty, we wait for Christmas with different emotions and different experiences. Some with high highs, some with low lows, but we've all been waiting nonetheless. Waiting and waiting and waiting. I don't know anybody that really likes waiting. I've never met anybody that said, you know what, my favorite thing, waiting. Really enjoy a good wait. Nobody likes it. I mean, there's, there's technology in our lives now that is supposed to eliminate wait from our lives in all different areas, at restaurants and theme parks and everything like that. So whether it's waiting for Christmas, waiting for somebody to reply to your text message, you can see they read it, they haven't replied, and you're waiting for them to reply. Waiting on a train, our beautiful town, we all love to do that. Or waiting for me to get done so you can go home and open presents. Uh, you made that too. But how would you describe what your wait has been like? Your wait for Christmas. How would you describe what's that, what that has been like for you? Has it been long or short? Has it been a weight of increasing joy or a weight of compounding grief and hardship? Has it been a relaxing weight or a stressful weight? Maybe a mixture of all of those things, but waiting is part of our lives, not just at Christmas time. And I'm, I'm not talking about kind of waiting where you can count hours and minutes, but a, a deeper kind of waiting. The kind of waiting when you're waiting for your circumstances to get better. The kind of waiting where you're waiting for life to not be so hard. The kind of waiting where you're waiting to be satisfied with life. The kind of waiting where you're waiting for the right relationship to come along or the right job to come along. Or the kind of waiting where you're waiting for the next phase of your life to start. You you just want to get to high school, or you just want to get to college, or you just want to get married, or you just want to have kids, or you just want to retire. You're just waiting to get to that next phase. We're all waiting on someone. We're all waiting on something. We all want there to be more to the story than what we have right now. But thinking about this kind of waiting shows us that what you and I are waiting for is the very thing you and I are living for. What you're waiting for is what you're living for. There's a connection between how we wait and how we worship. There's a connection between, maybe a better way to say it would be, how we wait and who we worship. Your waiting evolves around what you're worshiping. So I want to look at a short scene this morning that shows us two people that have been waiting for a long time. A very long time. And from their example, we're going to learn how to wait and how to wait with hope. How to wait for the right things. And as we learn how to wait, we'll learn who to worship. And as we learn who to worship, we learn how to live. So let's look together at Luke chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible with you and want to use one of those blue Bibles in front of you, this is on page 857. 857, Luke chapter 2. We're going to see two characters in this little section. 
two characters, and you're going to see one thing they both have in common. They're both waiting. So as I read through this, we're going to read verses 22 through 38. As I read through this, identify the two characters and try to look for what they're waiting for. Look for the two characters and what they're waiting for. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. To this point in the story, the most popular scenes from the Christmas story have already happened. Jesus was born, he was wrapped in the swaddling cloths, he was laid in a manger, the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, glory to God in the highest. And what we see as we come to these verses is not too long after that, a few days month or so after that, a few weeks. But what we see at the beginning of this section in in verses 22 through 24, where it talks about when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, everything happening in in those verses is completely normal. There's nothing out of the ordinary there. Mary and Joseph bring their newborn son to the temple to present him to the Lord. There's nothing unique about this so far. They're just another Jewish family following God's commands for purification, following God's commands for holiness as they're in the law of Moses. So I don't want us to picture as this some, some huge dramatic deal. There's not cameras following them. They're not showing up to the temple, hosting a short press conference to announce that the Messiah has been born. N- none of that's happening. It's quiet, the ordinary family on an ordinary day. And though all this starts off normal, by the time we get to the end, it's anything but normal. It's anything but ordinary. And the extraordinary piece of what's happening here, it's going to come into focus as we're introduced to these two people, Simeon and Anna. 
Two people that are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, just here, but are two of my favorite characters in the story of Christmas. This man named Simeon and this woman named Anna. We're going to learn more about each of them as we go along, but there's one big point they both have in common. You probably picked up on it as I read it, but let me show it to you. Verse 25 of chapter 2. It says, there was a man in in Jerusalem named Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then if you skip over to verse 38, when Anna sees what's going on between Simeon and Mary and Joseph and Jesus, says, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The thing they have in common is they're both waiting. They've both been waiting for a long time and they've both been waiting for the same thing. And they're both waiting with hope. They're both waiting with hope. So we're gonna learn more about each of them and we'll see some connections to us as we go through this briefly. Let's zoom in on Simeon one more time. Verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout. Simeon was a godly man of faith. He obeyed God's commands. He trusted God's word. He followed God's word. He lived day after day in obedience to the Lord. Not perfect, not sinless, but faithful day after day. And it says, as we just pointed out, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the people of God to be consoled, waiting for the time when the people of God would be comforted. The word waiting here has the meaning of ready to welcome. Just like maybe this afternoon after you get home from church, you'll be maybe getting stuff ready at your house, things cleaned up, making sure food's prepared, and then you're waiting. You're waiting for people to show up. You're ready to welcome them to your house. Simeon is the same way. He's ready to welcome hope and comfort for the people of God through the Messiah. He's ready to welcome. And he was a faithful follower of God who still believed God was going to rescue his people. But what was that all about? What's that, what's he, what's he waiting for exactly? Well, it's connected to promises God made to his people centuries before Simeon was ever alive. You hear a hint of this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, when God says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He's promising he's going to send comfort to his people who are weary, retired. He promised, God did, to bring comfort and hope to his people by forgiving their sin and ending their struggle. God's people were waiting in Simeon's day and had been waiting for generations Almost since the very beginning, they'd been waiting. In Noah's day, they had waited for God to send the one who was going to bring them rest. In Abraham's day, they waited for the one who was going to come and bless the nations. In Moses' day, they waited for the one who would carry them into the promised land and rescue them from their enemies forever. In David's day, they waited for the one who was going to deliver them from the Philistines. In Isaiah's day, they waited for the one who was going to rescue them from Assyria. In Jeremiah's day, they waited for the one 
was going to save them out of Babylon. In Simeon's day, they were waiting for the one who could release them from the heavy and harsh rule of the Romans. God's people waited and waited and waited, and nothing happened yet. In the day Simeon lived, no one really expected it to happen. There was this heaviness over God's people in Jerusalem in that day. Nobody in the temple that day was expecting the Messiah to show up, especially not as a baby. So they were waiting and waiting, and most people got tired of waiting and gave up hope altogether. But Simeon and Anna, as we'll see, kept waiting with hope. Simeon had a unique promise from God that kept him waiting. Look at verse 26. You see what I'm talking about. It had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit. So God showed him this, told him this, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God told Simeon, you are not going to die before you see the Messiah. He trusted that God would allow him to see the promised one, the Savior that generations of God's people had been waiting for, that Simeon's dad and his 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 dad had all been waiting for. God told Simeon, you're going to see him before you die. You're going to see him with your eyes before you die. And every day, Simeon would come to the temple, and he would look across the crowd's people, and every day ask, Lord, is, is this the day? Every day for his entire life, show up in the temple, Lord, is this the day? Lord, is, is, that, is that the one? Lord, is that the one? And day after day, the answer was, not yet. Keep waiting. Not yet. Keep waiting. Not yet. Keep waiting. Day after day, for his entire life, then one day, the exact same day this young couple from Bethlehem came with their newborn baby, they also showed up to the temple the same time Simeon was in the temple. The Lord is orchestrating all of this. And God leads Simeon to go to the temple. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit, was led by the spirit of God to go to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. That, as I said at the beginning, Mary and Joseph are just doing what Jewish parents did. They're not trying to show off and just do a little parade with their baby. That's not what this is. This is just normal for their lives. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, and Simeon sees them, the Lord causes their paths to cross. And after all those days, after all those months, after all those years of hearing, not yet, keep waiting, not yet, keep waiting, Simeon now hears the Lord telling him, this is the day, Simeon. This is the one. He has arrived. Just like the kids sang at the beginning, the Lord has come, the wait is done. And Simeon is standing there in this moment. So picture this with me. This old man who has come to the temple day after day for his entire life sees this baby boy, walks over to the mom and dad who have not met him before. They don't know him. 
walks over to Joseph and Mary, and with Simeon's heart beating fast in his chest, he says, can I hold your baby? Can I, can I hold him? This little baby and this little boy are all hopes and dreams of Simeon's heart realized. And then here's what it says in verse 28. He took him up in his arms. Jesus is probably a month old at this point. So you can picture old Simeon holding one month old Jesus. He took him up in his arms and blessed God. This moment causes Simeon to worship and praise. And he says this, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon's word here teach us, words here teach us the meaning of Christmas. They teach us who Jesus is. They teach us what we are all meant to wait for since what we are waiting for is what we are living for. God told Simeon he would see the promised Savior before he died and now he's seen him with his own two eyes. He has seen him. And he says in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. God's salvation wasn't just an event. It wasn't a circumstance. It was a person. Jesus is the one that came to save. And not only do we see the one who came to save, but Simeon also tells us who he came to save. Look at verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus came to bring a salvation, not just for one people group, not just for people who are like me or like you, but for all people. There is no one who does not need Jesus to offer them salvation, and there is no one to whom he does not offer salvation. Everyone needs it, and it's available to everyone that comes to Christ. This is why he was born. This is why he came. There is no one in this room, there is no one in this world that does not need Jesus to save them. And what Simeon says next to Mary explains why that's the case. Look with me at verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, you can imagine what it would be like. I mean, this is, this is a pretty whirlwind moment for Joseph and Mary. This older man that you've never met before in your life comes up, asks to hold your baby, holds him up before the Lord, and espouses all these truths about your son, who's a month old. And they marvel at it. Then verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, pay attention to what Simeon says to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This would have been a hard truth for Mary to hear. And probably one she thought about for the next 30-something years. This baby that cooed and kicked in their arms would one day face unjust suffering and death. One day Mary would be on her knees watching her son die on a cross. Not as punishment for his wrong, like the other two men next to him, 
but as punishment for my wrong, as punishment for your wrong, as punishment for the sins of the world. This is, Mary heard glimpse of this, even in the beginning. And yes, generations of God's people had been waiting for God to fulfill his promises, but when Jesus was born, it wasn't just about Noah or Abraham or David or the promised land or the Romans. God's oldest promise was being fulfilled. The first promise God made to his people after the fall was being fulfilled. The promise to save his people from their sin. They said this about Jesus at the very beginning. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is only going to be light by entering darkness. He's only going to save sinners by bearing God's wrath. He's only going to bring eternal life by taking on death for me and for you. And we can't understand why Jesus was born without understanding why he died. The two are inseparable. So Simeon waited and saw Jesus. But there was somebody else waiting there as well, Anna. And like Simeon, Anna had been waiting for a long time. Here's what we know about her. Let's look at verse 36 together. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Anna's story is a hard story, what little bit we know of it. It reads such a way that tells us her husband passed away after they were only married for seven years. And she'd been a widow for decades now 84 years old at least. And Anna walked through her grief with faith by coming to the temple every single day, day after day for years, praying and fasting, praying and fasting and worshiping. She showed up to the temple for worship and to remind God's people of his promise of hope that they were all waiting for. I think this, this is what it means when, when Luke tells us that Anna is a prophetess. She was one who was bold and courageous and a leader in reminding God's people of truth, reminding God's people of his promises, his oldest promises. And the Lord had brought her to the temple on the very same day that Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Simeon were coming to the temple. And when she saw what took place, maybe she heard what Simeon said, we don't know. But when she saw what took place, she responded this way in verse 38. Coming up at that very hour, so the very same moment that Joseph and Mary and Jesus crossed paths with Simeon, Anna sees it. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna is part of a community of people like Simeon who were waiting. Because she sees what happens and she goes and tells other people she knows that have been waiting for the same thing her and Simeon have been waiting for. For her, waiting was not some vague, well, I hope everything just turns out. Hope everything works out in the end. Hope everything is good in the end. 
No, Anna senses the thrill of hope of the work of God's promises and proclaims that hope to other people. When you've been waiting for something your entire life and all of a sudden becomes fulfilled and comes full circle, you go and tell people about it. You go and proclaim it to other people. And that's what Anna does as she goes to speak of him, Jesus, the Savior, the King, the Messiah, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. She goes to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption, the rescue of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna teach us what to wait for and how to wait. What you're waiting for is what you're living for. What you're waiting for is what you're worshiping. The examples of Simeon and Anna are meant to refocus our waiting to whatever it is it's pointing towards now. If it's not Jesus, their examples are meant to point it to him. To where it's not primarily about a new phase of life, not primarily about a relationship, not primarily about waiting on your emotions or feelings to change, not primarily about waiting on circumstances to change. All those things have their place and we can talk through those. But if we're not waiting for Christ, even if we got other things that we're waiting for, they would eventually let us down and we'd be waiting for something else. This is why author Don Carson says this, and I think this quote really brings us to the core of what Christmas is about. He says, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If God had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he saw, God saw that our greatest need involved our sin, our separation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. So he sent us a savior. Think about what you're waiting for. Everything that you're waiting for that's not Christ can be good and can be a gift from God. But if it's what you're living for, it's going to let you down. Even if you get it. Learn from Simeon and Anna how to wait. How to wait with hope. Trust that God has never broken a word yet and he never will. And like Simeon and Anna, pin all your hopes on the word of God. Pin all your hopes on Christ who fulfills every promise of God. Be ready to welcome him when he comes back. Because just like Simeon and Anna were waiting, people of God today are waiting. Not for the same promise of God in terms of salvation he brings us from our sin, but but for Christ to come back and bring everything to completion under his reign. Hebrews 9 sums it up this way. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. All our waits are fulfilled in Christ. So as we celebrate this Christmas of 2022 and we come to the end of another year together, think about what you're waiting for. 
Are you waiting for Christ? Are you living for Christ? Are you worshiping Christ day after day as you wait for him to come back? He's our hope. He is the promise of God. He is the king, the savior. There is no other. So we keep waiting for him. Let's pray together.